morning church. Um, today's passage comes from 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 7, and today we'll be reading from the ESV translation. Before we hear God's word, let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you for giving us your holy living word, the Bible. We pray for Mark that he will preach your word faithfully, and we pray that we would apply your teaching to our lives. Amen. Verse 1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, a husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace into a snare of the devil. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, very good morning to you all. Very good morning if you're watching at home also. Um, it's great to see people. It's great to see some friends from Christchurch Hawthorne here. Welcome. It's great to have you join us this morning. And you've joined us as we continue in a series that I have been doing over, uh, it seems like the last 50 years, it's probably only a year and a half, but it seems like I've been on this series for years, and it's, it's a series on a healthy church. What does a healthy church look like? I'll start with the presupposition that we all want to be in a healthy church, and we all want to be healthy. So with that in mind, we're looking today at what does healthy leadership look like? What does healthy leadership look like? I will be preaching as I see what's in the text. There are some in other parts of the evangelical church who may not take the same stance on some of these things that we do here in the Gospel Community Church. And we don't divide over these issues, but we are called as elders to teach the Bible faithfully and in line with how we see the text. So that's what I will do this morning. And um, what we are going to look at is, what is a healthy leader? What is a healthy leader in the church? We start with um, the different words that are used for leader. Um, in the New Testament, you have words, and this is not an exhaustive list. You have bishop, overseer, you, you have pastor, you have elder. And we see the, the importance of a leader in the church. This is from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. You see, the church's building up is based on key roles within the church being in place and qualified people being in them. Apostles and prophets are no longer in the church today. Um, 
we, we, we deal with a particular period and a particular point in church history. Evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, most evangelical scholars put them into sort of one um, unilateral role. An evangelist being someone who teaches faithfully the word of God, who is, whose ministry is to preach the gospel and the gospel which is the power of salvation to all who believe. And then we have shepherds and teachers. And the way the Greek is rendered there, shepherds and teachers can be seen as one particular role. A shepherd, someone who looks after the flock, who cares, and teaches with a particular focus on teaching, the way it's rendered in the Greek. And the aim of these roles, which is why this is so important, that we have the right people in these roles, is to equip the saints for the work of ministry and for the building up, for the maturing of the body of Christ. Um, the role of the elder, which is the particular role we are focusing on this morning, which is timely, of course, leading up to the AGM in a few weeks, is to, uh, to build up and to care for the local congregation. In most cases in the New Testament, just as an aside, elder is always used when it's talking about a local congregation in its plural form. So we, we, we should always be looking at plurality, hard word to say, plurality of elders. And, and the Lord has, has ordained this in order that we don't have a, a church where there is only one voice of authority. So, um, just when you read about elders in the New Testament, you'll note when it talks about the local congregation, it talks as elders in the plural. So, uh, let's get into it and, and uh, explore this uh, this morning. Um, the fifth thing is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, which is one of the words that is used for elder or or leadership role, he desires a noble task. So, some key things to point out here. Um, there's a lot to be said, by the way, for the role of elder in other New Testament books, in Titus, in Acts, in 1 Peter. But um, looking at the text this morning, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. The first thing to point out, the first thing to point out from the text the word he. Now, this is really important because this is where some otherwise evangelical congregations and, and you know, they, they interpret things maybe differently. But there are no examples of female elders in the New Testament. Yes, there are examples of female deacons. I will look at deacons in the next in my series on this. But female elders, there are no examples. Okay, and that is for a reason. We see in 1 Timothy 2, which, which is a little bit earlier on in this, le uh, this letter, the same letter, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. I'm not going to unpack that text, but Paul has already put it on record that 
in some cases that a woman is not to exercise authority um, over a man. And if we assume the role of elder is of spiritual authority, which is absolutely implicit in its role, um, we must see that Paul is building on that in this, uh, this letter to Timothy. Paul is building on it. And in the first seven uh, verses, the word he, either in he or his, is used over ten times. It's always he or his when talking about the elder. This was something I read this week, and something we need to be very, very wary of. This was from, I haven't given the name of the quote because that would be, wouldn't be right, but this was from a wife of a Melbourne, um, a Melbourne vicar or curate who is evangelical. And this was her contribution to LinkedIn on International Women's Day. For some reason, Christian leadership and ministry to which I have devoted my life's work, the full scope of spiritual leadership talents of women have been overlooked for reasons such as stereotypes of appropriate roles for women in ministry, unimaginative and fortress-style male dominance of religious institutions, and to be fair, our own, then she says my own, self-limiting beliefs. It's time to call these out for what they are, antithetical to the actual practice and vision of Jesus. You see, this is the, the, the danger when we start uh, liberalizing the text. We start conflating the issue to be more than just women in uh, men in specific roles. We make it almost like an issue of men versus women. So uh, I was a little bit discouraged when I read that. A little bit discouraged because I thought what you've conflated there is church leadership with women as chief executives or in teaching positions in uh, academia and things like that. The Bible doesn't talk about those things, but the Bible does talk about male eldership. And we need to be wary um, that the church doesn't become. Um, almost culturalized by the world. That we take the logical culture from the world rather than from the Bible. And that was uh, what was posted this week. So, um, so the first thing to point out then from the text, if anyone aspires other than the use of he for male, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Now the Greek there, uh, if anyone aspires, he desires, is actually two different words that's used. And what it's basically saying, if anyone externally pushes and, and shows an external push to be in, in the office of overseer, he is internally, he is driven by internal conviction, a noble task. Now, that might seem, now that's, that's just a semantic. No, it's actually really important. Because, you see, the elder should have conviction for their calling. It's all very well for, for people to put themselves out and say, I would like to be an overseer. I would like to be a vicar. I would like to be a curate. I would like to be ordained. All these words. To, to self-nominate themselves. But, but actually, Paul is pulling out here, there is an internal person and conviction for the noble task, which is the gospel. So be wary 
of elders, clergy, whomever, who do not have a passion for the gospel, do not have a conviction for the gospel. They may have all the external trappings, good rhetoric, great preaching, but you can tell their passion by how they conduct themselves. And what's interesting is Paul then goes on in the rest of these verses to talk about what the evidence of their passion should be, because passion equates to lifestyle. And lifestyle is what Paul brings out in this letter. So, as we go through, I'm just going to point out little things as we go through the text, just to be aware of when we look at elders, when we look at the elders and we, we evaluate them for their qualifications. I value highly a degree from Moore College, but a Moore College degree is not necessarily a qualification to be an elder. Internal peace and conviction. Which means, of course, the elders should be known to the congregation. They should be able to be assessed for their internal passion. Let's move on. Verse 2. Above, above reproof. This is an umbrella term that the rest of the qualifications for an elder flow out of. Above reproof. And it does not mean perfect. And for those of you who know me, you will know I am not perfect. And my wife is smiling there. I am not perfect. Okay? However, the, 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 the word actually means um, it, it's, there's nothing in that person's life that could come back to be an issue for them or for the church if someone brought it to the church and said, hang on a second. There's nothing that someone could pull up. There's nothing hidden away. There's, no, there's nothing going on there that that um, someone can say, hang on a sec, you say this, but your lifestyle says this. We see in 1 Timothy 5, verse 3, Hebrews 13, verse 7, 1 Timothy 4, uh, verse 16, that people actually should see the elder as an example. And, and, and it's important when you're looking at your elders, how much are they an example to us? Why example? Because all of these, or most of these qualifications for an elder, they are qualifications for an elder, but not necessarily qualifications only for an elder. You see, the, the elder should be leading people into spiritual maturity. So these are good litmus tests, actually, for all of us in the church. Are we all above reproach? Is our life consistent with the gospel we preach? But there should be no double life, no double standards for the elder. The husband of one wife. Now, this again gets thrown around by a lot, in lots of different um, exegesis and interpretations. The, 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 way, the way, and the interpretation that I uh, align to here, that's not talking about marital status. Though marital status is not an insignificant thing to be thinking through, it's talking here about sexual and moral purity. And it's, it's not just sexual or moral purity in, 
the relationship. It's the way you conduct yourself as an elder. Now, we could go through a whole list of things that what does it mean, and we don't have time to go through every one of them. But some of the things that, um, that I'm thinking about here is uh, how, do you, how does the elder behave towards women? Are they aware? Are they aware about how, how their um, behaviour towards women should actually be perceived to be inappropriate? What's going on in their mind? What are they thinking of? Do they spend too much time with women? But of course there is the obvious thing as well. The, 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 the husband of one wife. Exclusively for their wife if they are married. The elder who is married is sexually pure and only for his own wife. And I'm not just talking about the act of sex, I'm talking also about all of the other things which, if you're not wise as an elder, can creep in and gradually take you away from sexual purity. The next word we have there, sober-minded, um, can make sound judgments. Sound spiritual discernment. And, and that's really, really important for the role of an elder. Because the discernment should flow down when it comes to unpicking the Bible. And, and just as an aside as well, please don't expect absolute 100% godlike knowledge from your elders. Elders are humans as well and are not perfect. But the elder needs to be able to discern, and discern based on objective analysis of the text of Scripture and how the text of Scripture applies in context to the situation. And does not bring um, outside influences and, and ideas and, and postmodernism and progressive stuff into decision-making. Sober-minded uses God's word to make decisions. Uses God's word in context as well. And how often have we seen over the years spiritual leaders in churches, and I've seen them myself, take churches down some very weird things because they take scripture out of context. You see, it's not just known scripture, but it's known where scripture fits in context. It's known the context of scripture. So we should expect that from our elders. The Bible is the lens. The, uh, the elder uh, critiques and makes uh, decisions on. self control So the, the elder is in control of themselves. That's a hard one for some of us. But it's an important one, and we should hold the microscope up to our elders, but also to ourselves. Self-controlled, in control, not, not driven by the emotion. Which, of course, some areas of the church are very driven by emotion. 
in the feeling hippie, the songs are very hippie and, and, and tough, lively, when we're not, it's different and we, we should be consistent. Our approach to our behaviour should be controlled. Because remember, we all have, according to Scripture, the mind of Christ. The mind should never be bypassed in Christianity, and especially for the elder. Respectable, orderly, decent, modest. Someone who stands out because of their behaviours. They are respected. They are not just good rhetoric people, you know, good, good orators. We see this in the world, don't we? We see politicians who give you great oratory in Parliament, who will put people into all sorts of, 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 of situations and people have confidence in them because of their oratory. No, they should be respected. The Christian elders should be respected because of their behaviour and their conduct and their understanding and application of the Bible. Hospitable. Now, now, this is an interesting one because there are some churches that I know where the office of hospitality is outsourced to the church. That's not my dilemma. And I'm not going to name the churches, but I know them. And the vicar the, the or the pastor will say, ah, my job is to teach and the congregation look after the hospitality stuff. That's not what we're seeing here in the text. Reasonable in the Greek means lover of strangers. You see, the, 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 the elder is not to be so far removed from the congregation that they are not loving those in the church, and especially those who they don't necessarily know well. You see, the elder should, should be a leader in hospitality. Open, friendly home in an open and friendly life. Romans 12, 13 tells us that one of the marks of a true Christian is hospitality and meeting needs. But it's the role of the elder to lead in this. So a little closing on that comment is be wary of the elder who says, my job is teaching, not people. Be wary. Able to teach. Now, again, this is an interesting one. Um, I, I don't think it necessarily means able to preach. We see this because 1 Timothy 5, 17 seems to have um, a little bit of nuance there. But at, at, at the very least, the elder should be able to teach. Should be able to take the congregation through doctrine. Now, now not, not necessarily perfectly, and I know when some of you guys ask me questions, I don't have the answer to every question, so then I feed it up the line. and sometimes others don't have the answer to every question, but at the very least, should be able to talk about the key doctrines, should be able to extol the doctrine of the church, should be able to walk through the Nicene Creed and talk about why we believe such things and lead people. See, teaching is not just didactic. Teaching is, is also leading people along with you. We see that in, you know, in, in, um, in one of the other letters where, uh, you know, Paul commends 
uh, Timothy for, um, for, for his teaching that he received. Commends him for it. And says, you know, you, you followed me around. You worked hand in glove with me. You saw me. You didn't just listen to me. You saw how I conducted myself. Because teaching is not just didactic teaching. It's role modeling and supporting and encouraging people to embed what you're teaching. How many times have I heard a growth sermon on a Sunday and it's never been followed up? And then the next sermon comes along. So the elder's responsibility is to embed the learning and, and role model it. Able to teach. We're talking about abstinence here. That's a issue that, that good Christians can, can disagree over. But not to have a reputation as a drinker. Not to have a reputation as a drinker. And, and also to remember and to be service-hearted in that. So you can take this down a little bit further and say, you know, if, 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 you, if you're going to pastorally visit someone who has strong convictions or has a strong history of, of issues, and it need not always be alcohol, you know, that you remember your witness. But the elders, and, and you may say, it is my right to have a drink, but I may choose not to in this case because that person may perceive that I um, maybe am prone to alcohol. We've got to be wise as elders. We've got to be, we've got to be wise and we've got to be, we've got to be thought through. And we've got to be uh, serving our congregants, not ourselves. We know from 1 Corinthians 6 verse 12, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. And thing, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. And that's an important point as well, is that the elder who is driven by things other than the word of God and the maturity in Christ, whether it be alcohol, tobacco, whatever, as an elder you should be... Uh, Asking questions of. Just continuing through the text. Not violent, um, not violent, but gentle. Contrasting one with the other. Um, not to react with violence. The, 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 the actual Greek means not a giver of blows. If your default position as an elder is, I will fight, you should be looking at yourself and, you know, you should be thinking, I've got some growing up to do here. Now, obviously, there is a load of different things that flow from that. What happens if the elder is jumped on outside Flinders Street Station and, you know, are they not allowed to fight back? I don't think the, I don't think the Bible's talking about that. You know, have you got the right of self-defense? Uh, I, I don't think we're talking about that here. But what I do think we are talking about is if someone attacks you and your default position is to swing, rather than to approach that situation with a humbleness and a gentleness and a love and a, you know, seeking to try and bring peace. Because it's my right to be as tough as I can be. And believe you me, in my past life years ago, you know, 
I've been in a few scrapes. Let's just be honest. That's not the default position for the elder. You start with peace. Start with peace. Metaurity. The Greek, in, in the, the Greek word that's used here is not out to prove themselves. Not out to say, look how clever I am, and whatever you can bring to this, I can bring more. And that's something you've got to be wary of when a, when a, when a, when a church elder or a vicar or a minister is, it's my way and no one else's way and they're not open to critique. They're not open to congregants coming and saying, you, you know, I just want to bring this to you. I'm not sure that we're going down the right, right path here. If the default position is, I am the elder, I am the pastor, I am the vicar, you, you just do what I say because... It's, I am more knowledgeable than you. You have a problem. You have a problem potentially of a cult. And history has brought us many examples of that. Even in the evangelical church, can I say. Let's move on. Not a lover of money. If the elders should not be driven by money. If he, a wise pastor wants feed. Money and power are usually the precursors to church trouble. And how many times over the years have we seen money become an issue? Doesn't always start out with the prosperity gospel, which is evil in of itself. But it usually starts out with what am I entitled to? What can I get back? What can I claim? You see, the elders should not be a lover of money. doesn't mean they don't seek to you know, earn a living or have to be, to, be, to be paid suitably for their work, if that's appropriate. But not a lover of money. So 1 Timothy 6 verse 9 says, Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. I don't desire to be rich. I, I dispute, I think everyone has this human nature to want to be richer than they are. It's what we do with it. That's where people who desire to be rich fall into temptation. And that's where it usually starts in the church. It starts with a temptation. Then it becomes a snare into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people. It's not just the elder plunges people into ruin and destruction. You see, if the elder goes down that route, the congregants who are looking to the elder, and we've seen from the text that the elders are meant to be an example, they're meant to be an influence, they're meant to bring people along on their journey of sanctification. If they go down that route, the logical conclusion is a church that has money as its prime motivator. And then, my friends, we have the satanic evilness of the prosperity gospel. But Paul doesn't stop here. He goes on to verse 4. He must manage his own household well. And the way this is used, it's, it's not just the people, but it's also the money. It's the, it's the whole way the household is set up. With all dignity, keeping his children submissive. You see, there is a link 
and we we really can't wait to plan it all out. But but there is a link between how someone the social principle and the church principle. We see that in Ephesians five when when we, we see the example of the marriage between a man and a woman as a picture of Christ and the church. We see those links in the Old Testament and into the New Testament where there is a link between between how the household, almost to the point, our daughters have got a little book, the, I can't remember the title of it, the, our, our house is our, oh, help us out here, Mandy, it's the, the church, our home is the church, and our pastor is our dad, or something like that. And it's, it's, it's quite lovely, at a very simple level, but it, it's, it's quite sobering. You see, because what the elders should be saying, or what, we should be looking at is if you can't manage the responsibility God has given me covenantly here, how can I manage what should be we're all family. We're all family. Who are our brothers and sisters? Who are our and all all that? You know, we this is a family, we're a church family. And if a pastor, an elder, cannot manage their household, how can they bring that into a spiritual family context? Household of God. And that's what Paul says if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Over an aggressive discipline at home will keep into the church. Liberal, progressive, lack of discipline at home will keep into the church. The way an elder manages their home is a great indicator of how they will manage, using that word not in a management speak, but how they will they will be themselves in the church. Keeping his children submissive. Again, there's, there's, there's lots of different ideas as to what this would mean. The way I the way I take this is um, that in the social context, because the word submissive is used, it implies those under the care of the elder will be submissive. I don't think it's talking about salvation. I don't think simply because as Reformed Christians we believe salvation is of the Lord and no one will become a Christian only because their parents tell them to. So it, it's quite hard to make that link, I think. But certainly what you would expect is the children at home in the household of an elder to be perfect little angels. Nah. They should at least be being disciplined and should be, should be brought up in the knowledge and love of the Lord. Remember the book of Judges. One of the problems that was a recurring theme in the book of Judges was households not teaching their children generationally the word of God. So we have a responsibility as elders, but of all of us, to teach our children and to keep them submissive, to keep them in line. But not with violence, not with unfairness, not with discipline for discipline's sake, but discipline with love. Because that's what you would want, is it not from your elder? You, you don't want an elder who's, who's not going to say, you know, I think you're on the wrong track there. Or I just want to challenge you on that. Because the elder would be expected to do that in love, same in the household. So just have that in mind.
um, as we go through. The reason James Pitt, um, much loved Anglican clergyman, said, the married people are called to leadership in two families, his and God's. And the former is the training ground for the latter. I thought that was helpful. And just before we move on to verse 6, I'm, I'm nearly done. The elder should be the head of his household. And again, that's not to say women don't have a fantastic role, both in the church and in the household. None of, the, none of this male eldership is in any way saying women don't play huge roles in the church. Women are vital to the church. Women are valued in the church. We value our women. Titus, in the book of Titus 2, talks about women teaching and role modeling to other women. But remember the context of eldership we're talking here is corporate leadership, leadership of a local body. But women, we value you and we value all the contributions you make to our congregation here. He must not be a recent convert. Despite the experience they may have gone through, despite the wonderful salvation story they may be able to tell, there's no fast-checking into leadership position. Why? Because the qualifications need to be evidenced. Not necessarily perfectly, but there should be a trajectory and in evidence of these qualifications in the elder's life. How many times, rhetorical, you don't have to answer, have we seen someone new have a wonderful Christian experience story to tell and then say, this would be great, you, you are a great fit for elder. No, it's not what Paul is saying. No recent converts. Now, it's not to say recent converts don't eventually end up potentially as elders. But the journey needs to start at conversion. Why? Because there's a, there's a reason for it. Or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. You see, elevation too quickly is a danger of pride. And pride without a full understanding of the whole of Scripture and how to conduct yourself in church, pride leads, as we know, to a fall. And often, when the elder goes down, or an elder in a church goes down, the church suffers as a whole. It's never usually just the elder who goes down, others tend to follow, and we have church splits. So you be wary of that when you're looking at elders. And finally, he must be well thought of by outsiders. Now, we've got to be careful here. If this doesn't mean that, because of course we know what the Bible says, be careful when the world speaks highly of you. So we're not talking here about um, you know, you, you being an extension of the world and because somebody in uni over here says this and we bring it into the church and they just agree. We're not talking about necessarily, um, you know, agreement with the world. 
But what I've thought of is, is it's, it's about that you are respected and there is no sign of hypocrisy. You, you are consistent and stable and you stand your ground. And I know many Christians who, when the world puts a really good case forward for, for, for worldly things, will say, ah, oh, yeah, that's a better argument. No, there's, they, they may get agreement, but there's no respect there. And I look at Martin Isles from the Australian Christian Lobby, who goes on Q&A and, and, and puts out all of this stuff and stands his ground faithfully and consistently. People will respect that even if they dismiss the arguments. So they must be well thought out by outside. There should be no shame. And remember also that um, the, the elders, the elders in the church, need to be wary of influences on their lives as well. Because the world will jump all over hypocrisy if we're not careful. Well, you think, you think, oh, well, great. There's two of you here in this congregation. We'll just take a back seat and watch all this play out. No. No, no, no. You see, these qualifications are for elders, but not just for elders. You see, the elders' journey is a journey of sanctification, and the congregation are on that journey with them. So as we teach and as we model, we, we, we'll be looking for the congregation to join us on that spiritual journey. We should all aspire to grow in these areas. We need not all aspire to be elders, but we should all aspire to grow in holiness. Because the principles of eldership are the principles of holiness, or some of them. And to be an example to the world. You see, every Christian is called to be salt and light to the world, to be an example to the world. It's not just the elders' job. We should hold all, and by the way, all elders. You see, there's a danger here we say, oh, you know, we've got a couple of reasonably good ones in our church, but let's not worry about anywhere else. No, 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 no. We should be looking and, and encouraging people in other congregations about the qualifications for an elder. It could be that someone is not growing in their spiritual life as a friend who goes to a different church. And it may be the root cause of that is they don't have biblical leadership. So we should be um, remembering these expectancies and holding all elders to account. There will never be the perfect elder, but we all, as elders, and as congregants, as deacons, and everything else, we all look to the perfect head of the church, which is Jesus Christ, who is our example. And the final point before I pray. We should support our elders as well. You see, because the easy thing to do is to say, oh, I've got a tick box of expectancies, and I've got a, you know, I want this, I want this. Actually, no, the elders need your prayer, prayers and your support as well. As the elders in all congregations have great responsibility, it's almost like a millstone round the necks of elders. We have great responsibility, and we cannot do it without the prayers and support of the congregation. 
So I think it'd be great to go diving in and say, oh, I'm not getting this from my elder. Maybe starting by praying and coming and talking to the elder. Let's pray. And Lord God, we thank you and praise you for who you are. You are the, the Lord God Almighty. And thank you for Jesus Christ, who is the head of your church. And we thank you also for your Holy Spirit who indwells in us. We thank you and praise you for the structure of the church that you've put in place for your glory and for the propagation of your gospel. Help us to be lovers of holiness, whether we are elders, deacons, or, or whatever in the church. Help us to be lovers of holiness, lovers of Jesus Christ, and lovers of the Bible, so that we, on our journey here at TJCC and in the wider church, we partner together for the propagation of the gospel of Jesus Christ to all, and then trusting you, you will bring into your church your elect people. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.